Hey, good morning. morning. Welcome home. My name's Tom, if I haven't met you. It's Tom, if I have met you. Anyway, uh, it is time for Children's Church. If you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, I invite you to go upstairs, have a great time. We're going to have a great time down here. Uh, It's time for you to go and get scanned and all that great stuff. Um, Mark chapter 5, that's where we are. If you have your Bibles, please grab them, turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like to borrow one for this service, look under one of the seats in front of you. We may have one there, and if you're using one of those, you want to turn to page 716, 716. Um, If you don't own a Bible, you'd like one, that's yours free to keep. Uh, Please take it with you. We are in week two of the Rolling Stone series, which we kicked off uh, at Easter. So I want to ask you the question, um, have you been praying your Rolling Stone prayer? Have, have you been praying it throughout the week? I, I hope so. Now, to some of you who weren't with us for Easter, that won't make a, a whole lot of sense to you. Here's what it is. We celebrate on Easter and every day that Jesus has done the impossible. After going to the cross and dying there for our sins, he died, was buried in the tomb, large stone pushed in front. Jesus on the third day, according to the scriptures, rises from the grave, the st- has a stone rolled away, steps out into life, now extends his hand back to us, living in the tomb, to invite us to step out, walk into light and life and freedom and deep relationship with him. And so because God does the impossible, because all things are possible with God, we ask that that each one of us uh, kind of look at our hearts, look at our lives and say, what is that thing, that immovable stone that we are desperate for Jesus to roll away for us? Maybe maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's something with a loved one. It's just that thing that you know uh, that you have exerted all this energy pushing against and it won't budge. And, And you're desperate for God to be God in this situation to do what we're powerless to do. So if you've been praying that prayer throughout the week, I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. Um, more than 100 people came and, and in red just initialed the stone to identify the fact that they have a rolling stone prayer that they're counting on Jesus to come through for. And he loves, he loves to do the impossible for his glory and his people's joy. Okay? So that, that helps us determine what qualifies as a rolling stone prayer right? 180-inch flat screen, probably not going to do it, right? His glory, his people's joy, mm, maybe 50%. <laughs> okay, so if you're doing that, we got a Wednesday night prayer group that's here praying for you. We just want you to, maybe you didn't have one last week. It's not too late. Maybe something happened this week. That's now your rolling stone prayer. We're going we're gonna to see stones rolling all throughout this series and beyond. That's who God is. Okay, we have a, um, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. I'm always glad you're here. I'm particularly glad you're here because it's a very important uh, message because uh, I believe it affects all of us. um, And I I believe we're going to be talking about something that um, is suffocating our hearts in in many cases. Um, Some cases it's like drowning us. You know, it's just pulling us under the water. Um, and Jesus comes to set us free so that we might see and experience him alive and, and active in our lives, in our hearts. And when he sees us in that state, 
well, he comes on a rescue mission just as he did uh, on the cross so many years ago. Um, and we're going to see that. And what we're talking about is Jesus rolling away the stone of a painful past. Jesus rolling away the stone of a painful past. If, um, if you're anything like me, there are things about your past um, that you wish weren't true. Um, and Jesus has something glorious and wonderful to say about that. So hang with us. Uh, we're going to pray and then we'll dive in um, completely. Okay, Lord, thank you. You are good. Um, Lord, I would ask that we see you this morning, that you reveal yourself to our hearts through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through our time together here. Your presence, I know you're here. I, I know. Lord, let us see you. And, and if we're followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would see you and be so convinced of your incredible love for us that we allow you to completely separate us from our painful past. If there are those here who think they might be followers of you, but maybe not, Lord, that you would just seal that. You would make it personal, that you would so intervene in their lives in such a beautiful way. Um, Lord, that they would be all in, all in. And Lord, um, there are some of our friends who are far from you. And Lord, that they might know right where they are uh, how much you love them and how much um, you're ready to do um, to bless them, to set them free. Lord, I, I pray for myself um, in confession that you would forgive me my sins, and there are many. Um, I am not worthy to share your word, um, but you can overcome that. You can forgive that. And so I thank you for that, and I ask that we would hear Jesus and him only, that we would see Jesus and him only, and that none of us would leave here the same because that's your desire. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark 5, here we go. Um, just a, a brief, very quick, here's where Jesus has been before we start reading. He has just completed, or he is now completing, a, a night-long boat ride with his disciples, with his close friends. It got a little choppy, to say the least. This was the, the trip where uh, it got really stormy, and he calmed the wind, and he calmed the waves, and you're going to hear more about that next week. But this is right after that, okay? Um, Mark 5, we're going to read the story. Hang with me through this, uh, and then we'll unpack pieces of it and, and watch God work. Okay, here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. I'm sorry, the Gerasenes. And Jesus had stepped out of the boat, okay, just docked. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This, this guy was possessed, okay, spirit living inside him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles into pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now, I don't want you to look at this as a story of a tremendous waste of bacon. I want us to keep our eyes on Jesus, as we always do, and this man. Now, um, this is a huge story. You say, well, what does it have to do with me? Well, here we meet maybe the most messed up guy in Scripture. You say, well, I have some others that I could nominate, but if there is a biblical jacked up Hall of Fame, this guy is in it, okay? And I believe, I mean, he had issues. He had issues. We talk about baggage. His luggage did not fit in the trunk. You're sitting on it, you know, in the car. He had a lot of problems. And I believe that as we were addressing, I'm going to calm down a little bit because like I heard at Easter, I got too keyed up and it was like I screamed through the whole thing. But no, I'm not mad at you. I love you. Um, I just get excited. So, so here's the deal. That I believe that as, as I was praying about this message that God led me to this passage for this reason. That this guy is so incredibly messed up. That there is not one of us here who can say, yeah, but I'm worse. Yeah, but I'm, I'm in worse shape. And therefore, God doesn't really have a heart to come and rescue me. Doesn't have a heart to forgive me. Doesn't have a desire to set me free. If he can do it for this guy, he can do it for me. And he can do it for you. The one thing we, we really need to grasp is that as we think about our past and the things that we wish were not true about it, whether we've done them ourselves or they've been done to us, there is nothing in our past that is more powerful than the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. There is nothing we have done or has been done to us that disqualifies us, that overpowers his love and his grace, his mercy shown on the cross and his life. Nothing, nothing. So um, I want us to understand that, 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 
that that's what Jesus wants. We talked about last week that this is not just a book of stories, however true that, of what Jesus wanted to do and was able to do 2,000 years ago. It is that, but it's more. It's what Jesus has the power to do and desires to do right here, right now, in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives. So that's what we're looking at. And maybe this man doesn't have a name so we can better identify with him. Maybe that. Luke has a parallel passage, uh, a story in Luke's gospel that tells uh, and adds some, some different details. Uh, Luke eight twenty seven says this. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city. So he used to live in the city, doesn't anymore. He doesn't anymore. He's in exile, right? Who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Okay, a couple of things here. First of all, the guy has no clothes. He's naked. In that, he has something in common with my freshman roommate, who did wear a lot of clothes and had this desire to sit on my comforter a lot. Wash the color right out of it. Maybe he was possessed. We don't know. But the point of the no clothes is that he is, his shame is out there. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You feel a lot of shame as you look at your past. And, and the enemy, Satan and his demons, are all about shame. They want you to have shame. Uh, Jesus took all our shame upon him and was ashamed so that we would not have to be ashamed, okay? He closed this man. He used to live in a city. He now lives in the tombs. I want you to notice he's homeless and, and more than, and I believe everybody here, please, God, if you don't, let us know, has some kind of dwelling, right? This guy had tombs, right? But... um. What's more is that his heart was homeless. His heart was homeless. And, and, and some of you can relate to that. Um, trying to find the place where his heart belongs. His past is controlling that. So um, we have that. I want you to notice something really pressing about this. That Jesus is in a boat, huge shoreline. They could dock any place they want. And, and he goes to this place. Verse 1. Here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasens, and then Jesus had stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, Jesus is God with skin on. He knows everything, controls everything, has power to do anything. He's not random. He doesn't say, well, let's just park it here because it seems like a good idea. No. He went specifically to this guy in the tombs. He had the boat dock right there because he knew that's where this guy lived. He has come to rescue him. And this morning, it is not random that you're here. It is not random that you may be listening somewhere on the podcast sometime in the future. God in Jesus Christ, has docked his boat where you are, in the middle of the mess of your past and your present and your worries about the future, on a rescue mission, just as he did for this guy. It was not random. Jesus docks the boat there for this specific purpose. And we're here. And Jesus is speaking to me and to you through his word, through his spirit, 
And, and he's bringing about change, just as he did in the man in the story. So I hope you, you expect great things to happen. I hope you expect great things to happen, because they will. Because they will. Okay, so Jesus makes special trips to be face-to-face with the most broken, the most sinful, the most um, spiritually wrecked people. He goes to them. And, and I, many times, and maybe some of you, and the church, historically, does the exact opposite. Too broken, weird sin, lots of it. I don't want them in here. I'll give money to a ministry that serves them, maybe. But I don't want them sitting next to me. I, I don't want them rooming with me. I don't want them eating at my kitchen table. I don't want them sleeping in my house. I don't want them in my inner circle. All the time that followers of Jesus Christ say, Matthew 25, 45 is right. Absolutely part of the Bible. What does it say? In as much as you've not done it to the least of these guys like this, you've not done it unto me. And, And so that's part of our past for some of us. Avoiding some of the people that Jesus cares most about. Because they have stranger or more extreme symptoms of the same disease that we have. Maybe that's part of your past that that you need Jesus to roll away. Maybe it is. He's living among the tombs, verse 3 says. Living among the tombs. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. That unless you're living fully connected, fully surrendered, fully filled with the risen Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to him. He is your Lord. He is your God. He is your hope. He is your everything. Unless that is true, that we are living in the tombs. We talked about that. And it doesn't matter how cool we make the cave into a man cave or something else. It's still a place of death. We're living in our own grave. We're waiting for death in the dark. And you say, well, no, I think I'm living a pretty awesome life. I think it's free and fun. Well, the inventor of life, the creator of life, the sustainer of life, Jesus Christ, says, without me, you're, you're living in the tomb. You're, you're living in the tomb. You're living a life of ever-increasing death, and I'm inviting you. I'm calling you out. I'm rolling the stone away so you can come to me into the light, into life, into freedom, into forgiveness into the life that I created you to live. That's what he's saying. So this guy is, is living in the tomb. Luke 8, 29 says, he was driven by demons into the desert. Okay, see that? See that? For many time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains of sackcloth. He would break the bonds, be driven by the demon into the desert. What is the demon? What are the demons doing? They are separating him from God. They're separating him from other people. They're putting him in isolation. Okay? Now, I want you to take a look at this. Our prison system, our judicial system knows this. We've gone through this, right? What's the worst punishment that they give short of death? It's, what, what, what's the name of it? Um, what's that? Solitary confinement. You get an A. I'll get like a felt star for you, Nancy. Okay, solitary confinement, right? And people go, no, no, don't do that. Don't put me there because it's awful. 
It's awful. Your mind starts playing tricks on you. The isolation is choking you, killing you. And yet, how many of us, even followers of Jesus Christ, when our past becomes overwhelming, we pull away. We self-impose solitary confinement. We pull away from God. We pull away from other people. And we're vulnerable. And we're suffering. Self-imposed. And that's why we have life groups. We have life groups because um, it's my nature, it's my flesh to do that. To not press into people, to not to get to know them deeply, and to not love them deeply, to not allow them to know me and love me deeply and um, do the gospel together. Um, very new. This is the first time I've ever done it. But it has done more for me to understand that there's a God who knows me deeply and loves me anyway because I've got a circle of couples in our couples life group who know stuff about me that only my wife knows. And guess what? They love me anyway. Don't raise your hand if, if you're the exception to that rule. Um, in my life group, that's how we know. That's how we experience the radical love of Jesus Christ. So I, I invite you. We have a table at the welcome table. Uh, there's a rack with life group cards. I know, it's a creepy, weird thing for some of you. Do it. Do it. Because everything evil wants us disconnected and everything good and holy in Jesus Christ wants us close to him, close to each other, working out the gospel in each other's lives, holding each other up, praying for one another, loving each other, even though we know all of the unlovely parts. It's great. Okay, back to the scripture, end of verse three. Here we go, you're saying, we're only at three, he read 20. I'm not gonna do them all. We'll get as far as we can. Before five. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? This guy was uncontrollable. This guy was out of control. And I don't mean that in the partying kind of cool way. Out of control, in this case, is not good. It's not good. Nobody can control him. They can't even put chains on him. And, and maybe you can relate. Maybe, maybe you have a past. Maybe you have a life that was or is out of control. You know, maybe, maybe you have a, a moral code. Maybe you have a sense of, of rightness and wrongness in the way you hoped your life would be. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you come here and, and we pray and we sing songs and we hear scripture and we nod our heads and, and all that good stuff. But when you're here, that's cool. But you tend to go away and you live a way that makes the things that you agreed to and sang about and prayed about um, seem like a lie. And, and no matter how much you try to bring those two worlds together and, and get them under control, you, you can't. And, and so the good news is that if you have a life that feels in some ways out of control, um, Jesus has docked the boat at your port because you're there. Because he wants to roll away the stone of a past that is out of control and give you forgiveness, give you strength, give you his control, give you his love. So we're not trying to compensate with it um, from other ways. 
and other things that are ultimately going to destroy us. So maybe that's you. I want to talk a little bit about chains because it's a big, big part of what we're reading. Chains in the Bible um, often depict sin. Depict sin. So it doesn't matter whether we slap these chains on ourselves or somebody else did them to us, slapped them onto us. But if we put them on ourselves, maybe it's um, that we are held prisoner by choices we made, by decisions we've made, by sins that looked really good, but now the tail is wagging the dog. Maybe it's the sin of gradually becoming less and less loving and gracious and understanding. Maybe it's becoming more angry and bitter and, and less quick to forgive and and full of grace, and, and, and that's the chain you slapped on yourself. It could be uh, addictions or attractions or attitudes of any kind. It could be sexual. It could be um, with regard to uh, drinking or drugs. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we talk about behaviors here, some, but we're not all about that because it's all heart issue, okay? So maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's that. Maybe it's spending. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's Recreation, I don't know what has what really taken over in your life. Maybe some good things. Or choosing to handle one sin by doing another, and now that is your identity. That's the thing that's tattooed all over you, is what you identify yourself with. I had an experience. There's a, a girl whom I, I, I love dearly who um, came here, um, found Christ here in this church a couple of years ago, um, went off. Um, and, and, and as she walked away, walked away uh, in, in a number of ways and, and made some poor decisions. Um, she found herself pregnant out of wedlock, and, and my heart just went out to her, and um, that was something that she knew needed to be fixed, and um, so she fixed it with another uh, sin, another bad decision in, in having an abortion, uh, and now she's shattered and she feels like um, she's got a tattoo all over her that says whore and baby killer. And, and my heart just went out and I said, look, you need to know that nothing, nothing in your past is stronger than Jesus' love for you and desire to separate you from that. That's what the cross is about. His love is still for you. His grace is still toward you. And, and, and she's broken and she's sorrowful. And I pray that, that she will allow Jesus to roll away the stone of a painful past and, and wash her clean and let her know that she, he sees her as his spotless one, his beauty, because he does. That's the power of the cross. So maybe it's just you've been calling your own shots in your life. Those are the chains that you carry around. And the good news is this, that Jesus has stopped the boat um, at your port because you're there. And he's come on a rescue mission to roll away the stone of your past, to forgive your past, and set you free from it. That's the good news. And maybe I know that we have people here, and it, it shatters my heart, literally. Well, not really. <laughs> I wouldn't be here talking to you. It moves me, it touches me, it, it, it burdens me deeply because I know that some of you have had these chains put on by other people, people in your past <clears throat> who have abused you horribly, horrifically. 
And, and some it's relational, some it's verbal, some it's emotional, some it's physical, some it's sexual and ritualistic. It's awful. And it has robbed you of your joy. It has robbed you of your peace. It has robbed you of your ability to believe that God could see you as his beautiful one. And if that's you, then today the good news is that Jesus has parked his boat at your dock because he knows you're there. And he's come on a rescue mission to roll away the stone of that painful past and set you free from it, to heal you, and to let you know of his incredible love. So that becomes your identity, not the victim of this horrible atrocity. And he understands. We serve a God who was abused so that he could come to the abused and set them free. I want you to see, um, before we leave chains, okay, here's the deal. If you want a short one, come to the nine. Because you get it, you're going to get it at the 1030. I'm going to let you go. I want you to see a pecking order here, okay, of strength and power. Because we get this untangled and it becomes problematic. We have the physical, we have the guy, right? Then we have the spiritual, which includes Jesus, right? But it's the demons and they break the chains. But Jesus is above all, far above all. He can vaporize the demons just like they can vaporize the chains, okay? You get it? Physical, spiritual, Jesus above all. Example, some of you know my boy. Some of you know my son, Tommy. Now, there's a lot wrong with him, but he is, he's big. He's six foot five, close to 300 pounds, and he is freakishly strong. He gets this, well, from his dad. Um, No, no, I don't know. I don't know. He got it from God. But even with his size, I mean, he He's very strong. He, uh, junior and senior year, he held the uh, weightlifting record at his college for bench pressing. Um, he can literally, literally carry me, Sheree, and Quincy around the house at the same time. And I've seen him pancake larger guys when, he, when they talk trash or say something mean about God on the line. So um, that having been said, he cannot break chains. He can't do it, okay? What's more is that although he is physically strong, praise God, the worst, most loser, nerd geek demon, okay? The one who fails all his demon quizzes and can't even get on the Scout JV demon team, that one can whip his behind and spank him like a baby if he did not have Jesus Christ living within him and filled with the Holy Spirit. Get me? But at the name of Jesus, not only that demon, but Satan himself must flee and is defeated. So here we have the pecking order. Physical, spiritual, Jesus above all. Got it? Yeah, easy to follow. Easy to follow? Why is it that there are many more people in our culture 
in our churches, in this church, who are committed to being a member of a gym, having a daily workout, jogging, um, riding your bicycle, doing your cardio, doing your lifts, doing your that, which is good, but there are more of them than people who pray regularly, who are in the Word every day, and are seeking Jesus with all their heart. Now, I could use more of the physical side. Buff as I am. But if we know that the strength is physical, spiritual Jesus, why do more of us want to get buff than to get Jesus for a good life? Maybe that's part of your past that you need to roll away. You need to let Jesus roll away. I want you to notice, particularly church people, um, or people who are strong-willed. This guy is still bound. Would you agree? Even though the chains are broken? Chains fall away. He is still a prisoner because he's chained on his heart. Evil does not need you to be bound externally to have control of your life. So maybe, maybe you're somebody who has had a painful past and in addressing that painful past, you're going to make life changes. We're going to eliminate this and I'm going to resist and I'm going to, I'm going to fight. I'm going to get the outside right. I've made life changes. I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. I am, I, I am, I'm good. Well, if we've done that on our own power, um, then we may very well still be prisoners in our hearts. And here's where church people get it wrong. Jesus does not people, set people free from the outside in. It's why we don't talk about fix your life, fix your life, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Because what happens if we do that? Then we get the outside of the cup clean and the inside is full of junk. Jesus is interested in transforming our hearts. And then what works out of the heart, our attitudes, our actions, our words, our, our relationships, everything that comes out of that becomes transformed. He sets us free from the inside out. But we got this idea of church that church is not a place where I can be myself. It's not a place where I can be honest that I have luggage, I have baggage, I got sin, I got struggles. Hey, look at the guy who's standing up front and won't stop talking. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Jesus wants to transform our hearts. And if you've been settling for a moralistic cleanup of the outside, and you still know that you're a prisoner on your heart, Jesus has come to your port too. How do you know that? Because insecurity is there. Insecurity about your relationship with him. Number five, verse five, and then we're gonna, we're gonna tie this up. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, this guy was always crying and cutting himself with stones. Some of you think that the epidemic, the popularity um, of people cutting themselves is relatively recent. It's not. It's at least 2,000 years old. And this guy used stones, but... That's probably because there wasn't a safe way down the street where he could get blades. Um, 
I'm not just talking about um, cutting. I'm t- talking about any kind of physical mutilation, but it, it mentions cutting. And, and maybe, maybe you can relate because you're so numb, you, you will feel, you want to feel anything, including pain. Um, maybe you just want the pain that you afflict, inflict on the outside to reflect the pain that you're feeling on, on the inside. Maybe, maybe it's an expression of self-loathing. Maybe it's um, temporarily escaping and anesthetizing the pain of a broken heart. Regardless of what it is, um, Jesus has docked his boat at your port so that he can come and heal you. Let you know of his incredible love for you, demonstrated by taking all of your brokenness, all of your sin upon himself and dying for it. Not just so that you be free from its punishment, but free from its power to continue to have an influence over your life. And he's come on a rescue mission to roll away the stone of a painful past. Crying out with a loud voice. Oh no, I was about to skip the best verse of the whole thing. Number six. You might not have sensed it as we were reading it. This is the game changer. Here's where it all shifts. And here's what Jesus is calling us to do. Verse six, when this guy, when this man saw Jesus from afar, he saw him, he ran to him, and he fell down before him. This is a picture of what Jesus is calling us all to come to the end of yourself. This is what the Bible calls repentance, a change of mind, a change of direction, a seeing of Jesus, a running to Jesus, a falling down and crying out for mercy. Crying out for mercy. That's what it's about. That's what our response needs to be. Or we're going to walk out carrying the same burden of our past that we walked in with. And Jesus loves you too much for that. He loves you too much for that. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Some of us have lost the ability to see Jesus. Not only in this place, in his word, in the still small voice, to hear him, to see him in others, to see him in creation, to see him alive and active and working all over the place. We have not only lost the ability to see him, we have lost the ability and desire to run. We don't run anymore. We wait. I'm not going to run anymore. I was in the Superdome maybe 15 years ago at this uh, Christian um, conference. And there was a guy who looked like this guy might have looked, with clothes on. And um, they gave an invitation. And there were a lot of people whose lives were probably a wreck standing because they had, a lot of them had their sons with them. Mm, guys don't show weakness. Not this guy. He's in the upper deck. He is sprinting hurtling robes of seats, coming to the banisters, leaning down and, and catapulting himself through. And, he's, and you see him peel around in the back and he's down the other section. And my heart broke, not for him, but for myself. Because I used to know how to run like that. 
I used to know how to run like that to Jesus when I knew that he was my only hope. Here's my question. Have you lost the ability to see him and have you lost the desire to run? And he fell at his feet. There is a spiritual veil over this valley that keeps people from Jesus Christ. I believe it has a lot to do with pride. This place, this gorgeous place, tends to attract people. God bless them. And you may be one of them who are fiercely independent. We never saw a mountain we couldn't climb or jump off with sticks tied to our feet or somewhere we couldn't ride to or run to or accomplish or there's not a rapid too steep, too violent. And it's pride. We're blessed with the ability to do so many things. But separate ourselves from our past? I'm sorry. Kneel down before the God who made us? That rubs up against our pride. So I'm praying now that 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 would be ripped apart because so many of us need to come and have Jesus roll away the stone of our painful past. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, or the demon said through him, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Good theology. The testimony of demons says, what, what, would, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I want you to notice this. Demons have good theology. Demons have good theology. They know Scripture better than you, better than me. But they're in eternal punishment and separation from God. Why? Because their hearts are unsurrendered. Their hearts are unsurrendered to Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? Theology and good theology, sound biblical understanding of the real word of God is very important. You will never hear me say that it's not important to get it right. I pray for mercy and wisdom that I might get it right before you. It is important. But good theology without a surrendered heart is the same as a demon. How does this apply to us? I went to a Southern Baptist seminary as a Catholic boy. I married into a Southern Baptist family as a Catholic boy who loved Jesus Christ, who was enamored with God, not perfect by any means, but was told that I was going to hell because people disagreed with parts of my theology. 
you can be Catholic and be saved just like you can be Baptist and be lost. And I say that as a Baptist preacher. Good theology, you bet. Is that what saves you? Never. You want the best theology? The best theology was voiced by the demons and they are unsurrendered. And so we have people who just want to go, one more Bible study, one more Bible study, one more prayer meeting, one more All I, I need to know, no, 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 no. Huge heads, little tiny hearts. You know them. Some of you are them. If what we know about Jesus does not change the way we love, we're missing it. And that's the part of our past we need him to roll away. How did this guy get this way? He says, my name is Legion. We are many. I don't think, I don't think that any of you really are possessed. I, I, I really don't. But I would guarantee that almost all of you are oppressed, pressed upon, threatened, distracted, tempted by evil. I am I'm oppressed every week. As Sunday approaches on Saturday, maybe Friday night, if, it's, if God is really moving, I will hear, you're stupid. You have nothing to say. How dare you think that you have the right to speak the word of God to his people? You have nothing to say. You're stupid. And then if, if I'm smart and I stand on Christ and I say, in Christ, you're right. But in Christ, all things are possible. Then here it comes. Do something really special so that people think a lot of you. Wouldn't it be great if everybody who left thought you were a great preacher? Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe you get to write an article somewhere sometime. Maybe, maybe people would really think a lot of you. Wouldn't that be cool? No. No. Another lie. It wouldn't. The goal is that Christ may be glorified, that we all might walk out together, not saying what a great church we have, not saying what great pastors we have, not saying what great music we have, not, great, not saying how long our sermons are, but saying, our God is so good and he loves me incredibly. Can you believe it? He is what it's about. That's what it's about. Do I think you're possessed? No. Do I think you're oppressed? Yeah. Yeah. If you're anything like me, you are. Jesus is more powerful. How did this guy get like this? He, he wasn't a good godly guy and he woke up one day and there's Kate plus eight number demons living inside him. That's not how it happened. I guarantee you. What was it? It was, it was this. It was this, almost straight, but gradually yielding to something other than Jesus Christ. Gradually yielding to something other than Jesus Christ. We can understand it. We've all done it. Well, you follow that path long enough and you're separated from him. You're separated from other people and you're, and you're like t- 
toast for demons. You're toast for evil. You're toast for temptation. You might as well smear yourself up with bacon grease and peanut butter and go out looking for bears. That's how vulnerable you and I are. Except in Jesus Christ. You and I didn't get our past all at one moment. Neither did he. Verse 18, we're going to skip down and close it out. As Jesus was getting back in the boat, this is just another way of showing that's why he came. He'll redirect his boat for one person. He'll do it for you. The man who had possessed, been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go be a missionary. Tell them you've been visited by God and that Jesus Christ is him and that he rolled away the stone from your painful past. Go tell them that. He's not leaving him alone. You know he's going with him in the spirit, right? And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Don't take my word for it. It happens. It happens in our midst. I'd like you to meet um, one of our elders and a dear friend of mine. His name is Josh Pierce. Jesus rolled away the stone of a painful past. I'll let him tell you. First thing I want to say is this is God's story. Um, it's just been awesome enough that he's used me to tell it. I grew up fairly uh, religious, had a good scriptural knowledge, uh, leader of my youth group, church on Sundays. Can't think of any one point in time that where I just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to spit on everything that Christ did for me and choose the world. It's more gradual. You miss church a few times. You miss your morning prayer. Pretty soon it's real easy. It's easier not to go to church than it is to go. Um, and I chose a life of sin. Uh, a party life. And all the immorality that came along with it. God still does miracles though. Uh, met the girl in my dreams. And when I asked her to marry her, marry me, she said yes. Uh, that's that enough uh, in and of itself is enough to prove that he still still does pretty awesome things. Had a few miraculous things along the way in our marriage. Um, rolled a suburban off of Ciro, uh, drunk one night, totaled it, nothing left. Walked away from that one with some minor surgery on my arm. Broke my back horseback riding uh, for hunting season one year. No reason I shouldn't be in a wheelchair right now. And at this point, I can say, to God alone be the glory. At that point in my life, I chalked it up to, to luck. God still does miracles. Fast forward a little bit to about five years ago. This isn't easy to 
to, uh, to say. Most of you know me as an elder here, uh, someone who's pretty solid in the Lord. And this is where the Lord comes in. I was locked in a intense battle with drugs. It wasn't a battle. I wasn't even trying to fight. Had about a fifty to a hundred dollar a day cocaine habit. Um, kill a, a bottle or two of whatever was handy to try and get to sleep, get up to work. Pretty much stayed high for a good point in time that year. Um, Long about December, I was working in a crawl space. Mm, there's a mountain lion. Couldn't remember the Lord's prayer as I was gradually easing away from him out of that crawl space. That kind of got me thinking, maybe I need to be in the Word a little bit more. I can't even remember uh, the Lord's prayer. I can't even remember, yea, though I walk through the, the what is it? Um but not enough to change my lifestyle at that point. That January, I put a snowmobile through the ice at Taylor. Soaking wet head to toe. Lucky to make it back out onto the ice. Lucky to be alive from that one. That one really got me thinking. Enough that I needed to change my life. God was keeping me around for a reason. I needed to maybe do something a little bit better with my life. Tried to quit uh, my habits, my addictions by myself. Failed miserably. Pretty soon it wasn't even worth trying anymore. Long about that March... My wife came and kind of gave me an ultimatum. Um, we're leaving. And I tell you, facing death didn't scare me as much as the thought of losing my wife and my kids. I remember that night vividly on my knees still high been up for a couple of days crying out to the Lord just crying out I had nowhere else to turn I failed on my own I called him up <laughs> he came in he came in in a mighty way traded my addiction for drugs for an addiction for him I used to sit and tell God how big my mountains were how big my stones were now I tell him how big my God is my life was a tomb. I was dead inside. I didn't care. Just a life full of death. 
call of God. And he rolled that stone away. He can do the same thing for you. I don't care what your addiction is. I don't care what you're fighting, what you're struggling. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Let him roll your stone away. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Justified by his blood, that's uh, the cross. How does Jesus separate us from a painful past? He took our past upon him, our shame, our sin, nailed it to the cross and killed it there and rose again so that he could set you free, so that he could set me free. All we need to do is see and run and fall. If we don't let Jesus separate us from our past, then that becomes a picture of our future. And he loves us too much for that because he has a future for you. You say, okay, Tom, um, okay, you talk about a painful past. That isn't just my painful past. That is my pain-filled present. It's where I am now. It's about to become your past and one that you can be separated from by the grace of Jesus Christ if you will come, confess broken, and say, roll away the stone, Lord. Roll away the stone. He traded our past for his, for his, so that we could have life with him. You have a divine appointment. Jesus has come to me, has come to you in his word and in his spirit. He has docked his boat at your port to come into the tomb and call you out. Follower of Jesus Christ or one who is far from him to set you free. Let him do it. Let him do it. Your life will never be the same. Let's pray.